So do you ever just do something that you're like, what was I thinking? <laughs> like the time when I was in high school at summer camp when I jumped off the roof of the pool house naked into the water. <laughs> and then we had to run away because like there was people expecting high school boys to do something so stupid. I, I did something like that last week. <laughs> I was wearing clothes. But... I bet Lucas that I would wear this if the Bengals lost. Yeah, I, I feel like, I feel, I, yeah, I, I would rather be naked. Um, probably no one but my wife would want that, but, um, but I, I don't even know if she would, because I'm a little fatter than I used to be, but... Um, but yeah, this is why you don't gamble. Okay, this is why. So if you have, a, if you got a problem, call that number on the screen and just lay off because sometimes it can be bad for you. So, but I'm, I'm not gonna lie. At least it's not like the Browns colors. Like the Ravens colors are actually kind of cool. So, yeah. Gosh. It's like, how can you love someone so much but then just like feel so... At the same time, I love you, Lucas. So let me ask you a question. If you had one million dollars, or should I say one billion dollars, Austin Powers, what would you do with it? How would you use it? What would you give? What would you experience? What would you want to do for other people? On Christmas Day 2002, a guy named Jack Whitaker um, had the best Christmas of his life. Jack won at the time. He became an instant celebrity at age 55 when he claimed what was the largest lottery jackpot ticket in American history. $314 million, Austin Powers. Like, that's a third of a billion dollars. He got a third of a billion dollars. He opted, opted for a lump sum payout of $113.4 million after taxes, flew off to New York City with his family in a private jet to appear on network TV morning shows. But Jack and his family were just normal family, and they quickly fell victim to scandals, or their posse came out like, hey, Jack, do you remember that one time you saw me at the mall? And they became victim to scandals, lawsuits, personal setbacks. He endured constant personal requests for money, leaving him unable to trust others, kind of a hermit. And uh, a friend of his drug-addicted granddaughter died in his house, was found dead in 2004. Three months later, his 17-year-old granddaughter suffered the same fate too. His wife left him. Many other people were addicted, left, the family's just in shambles. And when he was asked 10 years later, would he do anything different? He said, yeah, I would give the ticket back, I'd rip it up. He said, I'd rip that thing up, I'd take my family freedom and whatever we had before we had the money. What do you treasure the most? I think for a lot of us, we're like, dude, if I had $314 million, like, dude, if I even had a million dollars, like, what, what, like, you start thinking 
on those lines. But it's like, like we talked about last week, it's kind of like the super serum kind of magnifies what's there. And his became very high profile. I mean, there's some people who can earn millions and earn billions and they kind of be quiet because it's just that slow growth, right, of owning a business. But his was public. Like I said, I, like I remember where I was sitting, like in the office uh, that I used to work at, uh, this real estate appraisal office, and sitting there, I remember hearing a dude won $314 million. Like, lucky guy. So as we're in week seven of our Jesus Everything series, we're talking about this week, we want to talk about um, what do we treasure the most? And for some people, the topic of money, like we talked about last week, is not something people want to talk about. And they think of church, like churches, there's a lot of churches that have been in the news with scandal or like corruption or where people, you know, I saw a pastor recently makes, takes a salary of $10 million from his church. $10 million. I would not want to stand in front of Jesus someday taking a $10 million salary from my church. I just wouldn't. I just can't imagine with whole countries without running water, malaria, poverty, kids that don't eat, you know, the amount of addiction we have in the hood. Like, oh, I, I needed $10 million, Jesus, from your people. I just, I, I, and so I see why a lot of people get cringy when the subject of money comes up at church. I do. Because there's charlatans out there. There's people, you know, like I remember, oh, if you just lay your hands on the screen. Lay your hands on the screen and you just start pouring out the dollars. Just watch what Jesus does. Why does it work better like in that accent? Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> like, like this just cheesy garbage of taking principles and making, relegating God to the genie in the bottle. You know, it's like Prince Ali, Ali is he. Like, you know, like we think Jesus is that. We can, hey, put, put a few prayers in the morning and we're all good and we'll get what we want. And that's what the life of faith is. Oh, if you have faith the size of a penny, you can turn it into a mountain of money. Heard that line before. I heard another preacher say, well, if you had the faith that I have, you'd have that Lamborghini that I've got. Never have I wanted to beat an old person up so bad. <laughs> As that guy stood up there with his cheesy grin talking about this stuff and like, oh, well, if you don't have money, you don't have as much faith as I do. We're talking about in the context of money because we're talking in Jesus everything because Jesus says our hearts are connected to it. Just simply put, that we, how, how we spend it, how we use the treasures we have, how we use our time, our talent, our treasures, how we use those things is going to be an indicator of when we stand in front of him, he's gonna say, what did you do with what I gave you? Last week, we talked about saving, spending, and sharing, and we talked about if we spend more than we make, or we're spending more than 80 or 85% of our money, we're gonna have a very hard time ever saving or giving the way we want to. If we don't live on a budget, if we don't have uh, guardrails or parameters in place, we're gonna have a very hard time living the kind of life we wanna live that could be a blessing to other people. And saving can be a blessing to other people, right? It can be a blessing to your kids, to your grandkids, to yourself when the car breaks down or something. It's like, and then also giving that kind of blessing. And so what we wanna talk about today is what the Bible talks about treasure. And we're talking about treasure 
in the lump sum of what matters most to us. If we can put the Bible verses on the screen. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter six. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. This is kind of the most important, biggest discourse that Jesus gives. And in Matthew six, it's the longest rendering of it. He talks about, he says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths eat and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven and where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Keep going. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. What Jesus is talking about here is he's talking about the way we see the world, the way we see riches, the way we see things, the way we see worldly accumulation is really, it really is, uh, kind of determines whether we're full of light or darkness. So if you're, if you're a person who's very greedy, who's so focused on money, who doesn't give, who doesn't share, Jesus would say that maybe you're full of darkness. Even Christians can be full of darkness. Do you know that? That people can start off, it talks about in the parable of the seeds, that says like, like, like you know, the one grew for a while, or the one fell in soil, it just didn't take it. And the other one fell, grew for a minute, but it had shallow roots. But there was another one, the cares of life and the love of money choked it out. And he says this, he said, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. What we look at, what we gaze upon, and there's a lot of connection in, in like the world Jesus looked uh, lived in, that the eye is the lamp of the body, that really what we look at, like our minds and eyes are really connected. That's why it's very important to monitor what we look at. If you're always online shopping or you're online perusing other things, just what we look at is where we fix our gaze, where we fix our gaze, and that I think Jesus' heart that we would have a constant gaze upon him, and, and that not that, like, that would be like, you just can't look at a picture of Jesus nonstop because they're usually kind of cheesy with light brown hair and like a mullet. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about like what we gaze on is do we see the world through the filter in the lens of Jesus Christ? And he says, if the light within you is dark, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. You'll either want, love one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Go to the next verse. You cannot serve both God and money. That's just plainly put, because Jesus, like I said, he talks more about it than heaven and, and hell. He talks more about it than sin. He talks more about it than sex. Jesus talks about money more than anything else, because I think it's the thing that grabs us. And God kind of orchestrated the world that we're supposed to work, right? He gave Adam a job to do. So working's not wrong. Money's not wrong. Economy, commerce are not wrong things. They're not bad in and of themselves. They're not. We just, as idol factories, have a way to make anything good great, don't we? We have a propensity to take anything pure, wonderful, beautiful and solly it and use it for our own devices and make a mess of it. And so that's what he's saying. He says, um, you can't serve both God and money. And serving money becomes when it becomes our whole existence or when maybe we have the, uh, like the Ebenezer Scrooge vibe and we can't let any of it go and we count it, we hoard it, we think about it nonstop, we constantly look at the stock, the, you know, whatever, and we're just like 
fixated. And Jesus is like, if the light inside you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The eye is the lamp of the body. How we see life, how we see money are imperative, and they're really, they tell where our heart is. Because do you know Jesus knows everything we look at? Jesus knows how we look at it. He knows when we look at it. He knows where we look at it. He knows why we look at it. There's nothing we could ever do, think, say, whatever, that escapes his eye. And so God, when we stand from someday, he's gonna call us to account for these things. And he says, therefore, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is life not more important than food, the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them, and yet are you not much more valuable than they are? Go to the next slide, please. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to his life? Why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon, and at that point in time, Solomon was like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk rolled into one. He said not even Elon Musk in all of his splendor was dressed like any of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, throw it into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Do you know God knows what we need? Yes. Do, you, do you know that God knows the desires of your heart? Like the base needs of every human being alive. Jesus knows what we need. And do you know in many cases, Jesus wants the provision that he has for us more than we even want it. But he wants it in the way that he has planned for us, not in all the grab and all the get. And, and I'm not, again, I'm not, take, I'm not saying it's wrong to make money. I'm not saying it's wrong to have money. I'm saying it's wrong to live for money. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, the thing is, is I think for us is there's power in money. There's power in possessions. Jesus says where we put our money and possessions is where our heart will be. And he also says we can't serve God in money. See, the, the thing is about Jesus everything, Jesus becomes everything one decision at a time. And as we get less encumbered by this life, it's like every time the Holy Spirit convicts us, don't ever dismiss even small convictions. If God thought it relevant enough to share even a small thing with us, it's very important that we lean in. So things we've been talking about with discipleship, about orienting our family, our time, our schedule, our affections, our goods, our treasures, if there's been any part of a grab and you haven't made that change yet, the time is now because Jesus says that that stuff, like, like he doesn't, sometimes our day in the sun isn't that long. Sometimes that day of reckoning when he brings that thing to us doesn't last and we don't know when it's going to. It's like the guy who said, well, let me build bigger barns first. He says, hold on, let me do this. I got all this stuff. Let me build these bigger barns and Jesus in the parable, it says that like the Lord basically yells at him. He says, you fool. 
This very night, your life is demanded of you. It's like the one who waits till the 11th hour often dies at 10.30. God's not a God. He's the, the master, the king, is not someone that we should procrastinate with. And even these little things, as trite as they may be, or as silly as they may sound, if you're feeling any inclination to say yeah, just say yes and then watch what he does. Because he actually, he does want to bless us. Maybe not to put your hands on the screen, but do you know God wants to take care of you? God wants your family to prosper, to do well. God wants your family to move in his power, in his kingdom. He wants to see miracles happen in your life and in your surrounding area, in your people, way more than you do or way more than I do. He wants that for us. That's his desire. But he says we can't serve two masters. So if we're beholden to the one master, we will get the results of the one master. And God will say, I'm out. Now, it doesn't mean we have to be perfect. So you're like, well, what does it mean? I have to like, be sinless? No, Jesus paid it all. So we get blamelessness in him. But the more we go, hopefully the less inclined that our hearts, is to, our hearts are to serve ourselves. So sin is just anything that we serve instead of God. Anything we go for besides what heaven's saying or doing or told us to do already. Where your treasure is, your heart is. And so if, to put this uh, next graphic up, kind of a three-point all-in-ness test that we could use a litmus is, and you guessed it on a round triangle, is how do we use our time? How do we use our talent? How do we use our treasure? How are we spending our lives? How are we investing what God gave us? Because do you know what the most critical capital you have is not financial? Do you know that... Of all the capitals God's given you, do you know that's the lowest one? That's created by us. That's the lowest one. Your, your intellectual capital is worth way more than physical capital. I mean, then, and your physical capital is worth way more than financial capital. Your relational capital is worth way more than financial capital. And your spiritual capital is the highest. And I would say if you could quantify it, that the one on top, if you went spiritual, relational, intellectual, physical. I put intellectual above physical because for those of you like me who are getting older, which is everyone, you realize that about 35, your physical capital doesn't seem like what it quite used to be. And then 45 and then 55 and then 85, you're just like all right, I'm gonna go for a walk today. And, you know, and just like, it, it, it becomes, it's not like I'm gonna go swim the English Channel or I'm gonna go power lift. It's like, I just gotta keep the, like the skids grease, like, you know, and just keep it going. And, and that's how it goes. And, and each one of these capitals is worth 10 times more than the one below it. And, but a lot of times, so many of us put so much emphasis on the financial capital and we're like, Jesus says, don't store up where moths, vermin, rust, take these things away. When, you put your, when we put our capital in spiritual things, Jesus says, nothing can touch it. Right. Nothing can touch it, because I'm the one stewarding that account. Yes. No Wall Street crash, no enemy invasion, no uh, gas price hike, no war, wherever. He says, you can't touch that spiritual capital. And so that's why he tells us to store up there the most. So how are you investing your time in spiritual capital? How are you investing your day 
Does your day orient towards Jesus? Do you have space in your schedule? Do you have margin to sit with the poor? Do you have margin to serve your church? Do you talk to your kids or your friends about Jesus? Do you have a quiet time rhythm with him where you just receive because he loves you? And any friend that you really love or any family member that you really love, you would want to invest in, you would make time for. Do you have time in your regular schedule, not just coming to church? Church is great, but this is not your spiritual dipstick. It's not. Not your spiritual dipstick. When you go to heaven, he's not gonna say, do you go to church? I think there might be a lot of people that show up. So I went to church my whole life and I'll say, I didn't know who you were. You were at a place, but I, the place that I wanted well was in your heart. And you thought it was about a location. I'm telling you, it's about a position of our souls, where we're bent towards. Talent, what you have, what you do, what you're good at. Maybe you make stuff. Maybe you create stuff. Maybe you can draw stuff. Maybe you're a good public speaker. Maybe you're a great cook. Maybe you're a landscaper. Maybe you're, uh, like my friend Joby. Joby's awesome. Like Joby is really good with his hands with plumbing and electricity. But I love, like Joby's always around helping just fix stuff and do stuff and serve people. And like he serves like a lot of ministries, him and his wife do. And it's like, he's good with his hands and he takes that and he's like, I can help out. And so like using our talents for the Lord, using our talents requires using our time. And then how are we allocating our treasure? How do we measure these three? I think that um, treasure is probably the easiest to measure in the sense you can open up your phone U.S. Bank app, I can go to it right now and I can tell how much money I got in my account. I can tell how much my son's got in his account. I can tell how much you know, is in my IRA. I can tell how much, you know, I, I can tell. You can measure the treasure. The other two are a little harder, but with all of them, we have to be really intentional. When we wake up, when we lie down, is, is Jesus getting more and more of our day? Is he getting more and more of our talent? Are we offering more of what we have to him? Is he getting more and more of our treasure? And we'll talk more about this um, uh, here next week, but tithing, is, tithing just means a 10. That's a starting point of giving. That's not, the, like, that's not like the vacation destination for giving. That's the starting point. That's the expectation of God of his children. And I'd say one of the best ways to go all in is um, that we actually assess how we're living right now. There's a slide here from Barna Research. Do we have that slide? He says, giving time and giving money go hand in hand. And what they looked at, Barna Research, the big research group, and they said, I just gotta get closer because I can't totally see it from back there. It says, in the past week, past month, past six months, there's a where people spent their time. Like where they volunteered, there was a strong correlation between people that served a lot and people that gave a lot. People that served very little, that just showed up at church or just showed up for an event. It would say that people give very little. People who treat church like that is that they just show up and it's consumer feed me. Who just say, oh, I go to that church because that's a good preacher. Or I go there because I like the music. Or I go there because I like friends. That's a consumeristic uh, mindset. That's not a Jesus everything mindset. And what he says is there's a correlation of people that gave $2,500 plus more that they, that they actually look at that, that dark blue graph on the far left, that people that served in the past week, 45% of those who are giving over 2,500 
over like 2,500 a year to their church, about half of those are serving a lot at their church. So like the whole thing's tied together. So it's time, talent, and treasure. Jesus doesn't just want a check. Jesus wants our heart. Jesus doesn't just want our heart, he wants our time. Because when we give our time and we give our money, we start showing that our heart, because our hearts are, are very connected to those things. And so am I a giving person? Do I give easily? Do I share readily with others? And again, if I have more debt, if I'm just steeped in debt, and I can't give, and I use it as my excuse, well then get out of debt. Make getting out of debt very quickly because you know God's calling you to it. And if you can't give because of your debt, there, there are, there's more problems there than just your debt. Like there is an idol of stuff a lot of times. And now I'm not saying sometimes we don't get bills that are disastrous, like some medical bills, or you go through a terrible, terrible disease, or like an ordeal. But most people that have crazy debt it's just because they like stuff. They like a more expensive car than they sh- can afford, or they like a bigger house than they probably need, or they like to go out more than they are willing to cook. Like those are the things that like most of us that have debt where we really are. Not saying, so if you say, well, you don't know my, I don't. But I'm just saying statistically, most people that have rampant debt have a spending problem more than an income problem. And they have a spending issue and a stuff issue more than they have an issue with like a life tragedy. Not saying it never happens, but that's the thing. And that's why saving is important because we never know when that rainy day is gonna come too. And we don't want that calamity to be catastrophic. Uh, my friend Marco told me last week that a pastor that... Uh, that he listens to said this, he said, show me your bank statement and I'll show, and I'll show you what you treasure. Right. How much do you spend on shoes? How much do you spend on food? How much do you spend on your house? How much do you spend decorating your house? How much do you spend on coffee? How much do you spend on traveling? How much do you spend on online shopping for stuff to hoard? How much do you spend for the apocalypse? How much do you spend on guns, ammo, games? How much do you spend on gambling? How much on alcohol? How much do you spend on healthy living, food and fitness? How much do you spend on your body? How much do you spend on the doctor? How much do you spend for your cars, for your kids? And the list goes on. It's interesting, like those little creepy, suggestive Amazon and Google ads. Like you're watching something and all of a sudden like, you say, oh, hey, it'd be fun to do this. And like, oh, oh, maybe I should go to Gatlinburg. That's a sign from the Lord. No, that's a spy app, people. <laughs> that's called a spy app. That's not Jesus, okay? That's like an algorithm that you, we, we, we've sold our souls to these things. How much time do we spend looking at these? Do you spend more time on this each day than you do in your word? I, I bet we, most of us do. Do we spend more time each day looking at this and texting people that aren't with us than enjoying the people that are with us? Because where our treasure is, our heart is. So when we look at this instead of our family, we're saying, I treasure this more than I treasure you. That's what we're saying. It's like the logical syllogism that's like the underpinning of our law, Aristotle. You guys ever heard of Aristotle? He's this really smart dude who lived a long time ago and the Aristotelian thought was Aristotle came up with the logical syllogism. And basically every law, if if you're a lawyer, you know exactly what I'm talking about because 101 is 
about the logical syllogism. And it's like, if this means this, then this means that. So like in law, if you stole, if, if the cookie jar has one less cookie and you're standing there with crumbs on your chin, chin and chocolate chips in your hand and you're swallowing, you're the one who stole the cookie. This means this, that means that. So the logical syllogism says that. And so where we spend our time, where we spend our talent, where we spend our treasure shows where our heart is. So if we spend it on this, we spend it on us, and we don't spend it on the kingdom, then then we can't say we're Jesus everything people. I just have to say it. We are not Jesus everything people if we are just glued to everything in this life and we got five minutes a day for the Lord. We're not. But here's the point, there's no condemnation for that, but do we wanna be Jesus everything people? And if we are, how do we start living into that? It's okay to call it what it is. It's okay to say, I'm fat, I'm sick, I'm messed up, or my marriage is a disaster, or I'm an adulterer, I'm a liar, I'm a tax evader, or I'm just broken and I'm just mentally ill. It's okay to say all of that. It's okay to acknowledge when you have the flu. It's actually great. You should stay home. You should get well. Maybe Tamiflu, maybe go to the doctor, maybe get some rest, get some vitamins. It's okay. You can't heal or change what you don't acknowledge. It's okay to say, I don't have a Jesus everything life. But if we're born again, if we've, if we've attached our souls and we've said, Jesus, here I am, then we want to live Jesus everything because that's all he's gonna accept. He's gonna accept people that said yes and yes and yes and yes, and that's the command, that's the call. He says, unless you die daily, you can't be my disciple. Unless we're willing to change, he says, the kingdom's not for you. Unless you're willing to be conformed to the image of my glory, you can't call me God. The reason he hates his name taken in vain so much, I think has to do with that. It's like, demons believe in shudder. You think he likes it when Satan says his name? And I think with us, it's the same thing. He's like, hey, I don't expect you to be perfect. I just want you coming closer to me. And at the end of our life, is our orientation, like did, when we get saved, did it change us? Were we closer to Jesus? Were we moving closer and closer? And he's gonna look at, he's gonna say, give me account of what you did. Your time, talent, treasure. We got this, I wanna show you this uh, quick, quick video clip from The Matrix. You guys ever seen The Matrix? We're gonna roll it and I'll tell you all about it. My buddy Morpheus. Do you want to know what it is?
So the stuff I'm talking about, this is kind of rabbit hole stuff. Like the Jesus everything life, <clears throat> how far do we wanna go with it? Like there's literally no limit to what God can do in your life. There's no limit, there's, there's always enough with him, there's no limit to how far he can take you, how much he can change you, heal you, grow you, what he can do through your life, the type of impact your life can have, there is no limit to it. There's none. We take the red pill or the blue pill. And I think there's a lot of people that are deluded, just think, hey, I'm just gonna go on and I'm gonna <clears throat> go on in this and act like there's nothing else. I'll have my cake and eat it too. But I think just like Morpheus offered, offered to Neo, there's so much more. And a lot of us, we can't even feel the bondage that we're in. I love that, the like prisons that we can't taste, touch, see, smell, feel, that we can't even tell we're in bondage. Some of us are so blinded by bondage that we don't even realize it. We're in this prison of sin, of life, of greed, of blinded, that our eyes become so darkened that we can't even see. We think, oh, I'm, I'm this amazing Christ follower. And if Jesus could look into our, if Jesus, he looks into our heart and can show us, he would say, you're a blue pill person, not a red. Jesus, everything, discipleship. We're talking about a different orientation, about being a different kind of church because we don't wanna be a blue pill church. <clears throat> we don't wanna just be this church that just does nice things, has a good homily or has a good, you know, uh, song set and have some good coffee. Man, if, if I'm gonna give my whole life to it, if, if, if I'm gonna give my life to God, like I want it to be, I want it to be something more than I can pull off on my own. I don't wanna be part of a church that can just come up with some PNG taglines that we could do with a few good marketing execs. Do you know a lot of churches, that's what they do. They got good at marketing people. Like there's whole plans to market your church. It doesn't take a lot of spirit to grow a good sized church, it doesn't. You can market well, do some things well. There's like these church in a boxings. You can do it and you too can grow a church. And I'm not saying that it's all bad, but like the stuff of Jesus takes the Holy Spirit. It takes a deeper, the, the stuff that we're going for is not the stuff I can get in a box. It's not the stuff that I could just offer you in a 35, 40 minute message each week. The stuff of Jesus that we want, anything the plans of man could ever craft or stop is a Jesus everything life. How far are you willing to go surrendering your time, talent, treasure to him? What's the limit? I'll go this far, God. I'll go this far. I have a friend years ago that him and his, him and his wife, they got married. And they decided um, they were gonna live on a certain amount. And it wasn't a lot. That basically they were gonna live on never more than 100,000 bucks. And this is an, a long time ago, so they weren't making that even close to that. And they said, but basically if we live on, if we ever get to $100,000 over that, we'll save every dollar, we'll split in half. We'll save and give every dollar over that. Well, many, many moons go by in many, many years, and they're still living on that like amount, which now is not near what it was back then. And they're making way more than that, but God just continues to pour out blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And a lot of times they just don't even know what to do. They still live on this amount. They haven't changed their house. They don't buy new cars all the time. You would never know it that God has financially given them so much. 
but they've kind of put this like enough principle in place, like this is what we need. This is what we're surrendering to the Lord. And it's like, and they just got to the point where like, well, even savings, like we can just give now. We can just give now because like we've saved all we need. And God just keeps pouring it out and pouring it out because they just said, Jesus, here's our baseline. We're not gonna go above it and beyond it. Take our lives, do what you want. And they've been a lavish blessing to the kingdom, adopting kids, helping with myriad projects all over the world. And it's because they're red pill people. They're red pill people. And there's this great, there's this great thing where it talks about, in, uh, also in the book of Matthew, where it talks about, um, in Matthew, uh, you find the verse, where basically Jesus talks about the parable of this guy. He said he saw a farm, or he saw a field, and there was, he found hidden treasure in it. There was a hidden treasure. So the guy's maybe walking through a field, and he trips, and like, whoa, that ain't a rock. He starts digging it out, and he's like, there's hidden treasure there. But I'm not gonna steal the treasure. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna sell all I have and I'm gonna buy this field because there's treasure there that if I sell what I have now, as much as that field is. So he goes and sell, he goes and accumulates everything he's got, goes to the owner and says, bro, can I buy your field? Here it all is, every drop of it. And the guy's like, sure. That's what the kingdom of heaven's like, Jesus said. That we give all we have in exchange and we say, Jesus, what's in this field that you have is way more than what I could ever buy it for. So I'm gonna give you my life in exchange for what's in that field. Because what's in that field is more valuable than what's in my field. What's in that red pill is more valuable than what's in my blue pill. And that when I orient my heart toward my time, talent, and treasure, that the real treasure is heavenly riches, then we get it. Then we become, we start becoming Jesus everything people. And we're not gonna get there all at once, but we get there all at once one day at a time. And so I wanna ask you, church, are you a red pill person or a blue? Are you trying to straddle both? Is this stuff grating at you at all? Are you saying, yeah, I'm leaning in? The hardness that was there or the blindness that was there is starting to be lit up or it's that ground's becoming softer. Like what's being all in look like to you? And it's okay if you're not there. But the point is, do I keep, do I, like that guy couldn't go buy his field just right there. He couldn't write a check. He had to go and sell everything he had. It was a process of dumping out the, the excess. And the rest of our lives is a process of readying ourselves for heaven. Do you know that's what it's about? That we're readying ourselves, like this is the dress rehearsal. The 20, 50, 80, 100 years we get here is a blip in the scheme of eternity and do we see it that way? Dot, are we living for the line? And many of us, if we're honest, are living for the dot. We live like this is all there is. And so if we're gonna be Jesus everything people, we've gotta think through critically about how we use our time, talent, treasure. Are we all in? And that's why we talk about stuff like house groups so often. That's why we talk about the kingdom so often, why we talk about discipleship, because discipleship and spiritual families on mission with like-minded people, 
That's where we rub off on it. Like if you wanna be big and strong, go work out with guys that are big and strong. You wanna be a good cook, hang out with Betty Crocker or Carla Snow. Like, you know, like, and, like those are the type of things that you do. Like you, you're around other people that are doing things you wanna do and it starts rubbing off on you. You wanna get sick, walk up to people that are puking and sneezing. Like, you know, it's like, and so I just encourage us as we're thinking about this today in Jesus everything, and we're gonna wrap this up in a couple weeks, but it's probably the most important thing we'll ever talk about is what's the orientation of your heart? Have you sold the farm to buy the pearl? Or do you still think the little farm is more valuable than the riches Jesus has? Do you think the treasure you're stewarding is more valuable than the treasure he offers? Are you a red pill person or a blue? So Jesus, would you just come? Would you meet us today? Would you be everything to us? Help us, Lord. Help us to see the world as you do. Let not the light inside of us be dark. Would you light us up, Lord? Change our gaze, what we look at, how we look at it. Change our hearts, God. Let us turn our eyes upon Jesus. If you want prayer, prayer teams, if you come down, spread out. If you need prayer for anything, anything's caught your mind today or you don't know Jesus or you're sick, we'd love to pray for you and bless you.